If you have your Bibles, if you could uh, turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to look at two different passages this morning. Um, One is Luke chapter 8 verses 1 to 21. uh, And then we'll be looking at Luke chapter 9 verses 18 to 36. I'm going to be reading that. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. If you do not have a Bible uh, and you don't actually own one, please grab one of these uh, here. They're they're a gift to you from us as a church. Plus also you'll see these little things called Uncover, which is the Gospel of Luke. Uh, That's the series that we've been going through. Um, Feel free to grab one. Uh, That's the version I'm reading from as well. So that'd be great to follow. Let me just... Pray, Father, pray as we hear your word that you will start stirring our hearts and causing it to be still uh, as we continue our time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cursed of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from even from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Shuza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than what was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that... Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stand for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and persevering produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known and brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more and whoever whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those to hear God's word and put it into practice. Now if you can turn to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 36. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, 
Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed on the third day, be raised and be, sorry, on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John and James with him and went up into a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two, two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to read uh, God's Word uh, together. This morning we're at the end of what we know in the Gospel of Luke as uh, Jesus' ministry and teaching in and around Galilee. And we're just going to look at a couple of those instances in this story which are incredibly significant. Because at the heart of what Jesus is doing here is he's calling disciples. And he gives some fairly pointed instruction. And, and uh, it's wonderful as we, we work through this today to see what that uh, instruction is. Now I'm wondering, have, uh, in your lifetime, have you ever really identified with Charlie Brown? I tend to identify with Charlie Brown quite often. Right now you may be identifying with Charlie Brown as you listen to me. Uh, that could be a reality for you. Uh, but, you know, I remember times like this in school. I really do. To say that uh, mathematics was difficult for me would be probably a bit of an understatement. How many uh, mathematicians do we have here? Okay, you guys can leave the room. The rest of us are normal. But, you know, with mathematics, uh, what I found is that it was difficult. And young people, this is before you had calculators, all right? 
This is before you had 486 Pentium machines. When I learned mathematics, uh, I remember one particular discipline called trigonometry. Who remembers trigonometry? If I was asked you now to do a formula in trigonometry, who could do that? Oh, wow, we've got some math geeks. Fantastic. But the reality is, um, when you learned trigonometry in my day, you used to have this book of tables, sine, cosine, tan, all that sort of stuff, and it was a book of tables, and you'd have formulas, and you'd have to try and match the formula into the table, and sitting in the classroom, it was just really wow, 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 wow. But what you had to do is you had to try and wrestle with this because the exams were coming. And you had to try and learn this and the exams were coming. But what would happen is once you've tried to master this and once you've managed to use the formulas, after the exam you would tear the books out of your page, place them in the fire, and you would never use the discipline again unless you were going to be an engineer or a mathematician. That's what would happen. That was my experience with math. I'm sure you've had similar experiences with other things in in your life where you have to learn something and you spend hours trying to learn that discipline. You don't see the long-term worth of it, so after you've learned the discipline, you just forget about it. You just put it aside. you, You just... Don't worry about it anymore. So as time goes on, perhaps you wish you were more attentive to those things because those lessons that you had learned then might become valuable. Those skills and truths might have become useful. But because you failed to continue and and continue to develop the discipline, it became difficult. You wish you'd listen carefully and develop the skill. But you never really use the truth that you learned in a practical way. So when a situation arose, you're unable to apply the things that were learned. This passage that Shabu read for us, we, we have a great crowd gathering before Jesus. And this is what wasn't uncommon as we've gone through this part of Luke as, as he's up in this Galilean region and crowds are following him. Crowds have seen his authority. Crowds have seen his power. Crowds have seen his ability to heal. He teaches like no one has taught before. In the Mark and Matthew portions of this particular story, uh, we're told that the crowd was so great that it was pressing upon him. Jesus hops into a boat and goes out a little bit from the shore and he teaches the crowd. And he teaches them in a parable, in a story. And as in anything, as you're taught, there is a response. And I was thinking through this story and 
I was thinking probably rather a little bit irreverently that, you know, if this is all that Jesus taught, these five or six verses, there's sort of no introduction, there's no real meaty three-point application, Uh, there's no real summary. And, you know, I thought, now if Jesus was in my preaching class, he probably would fail. But that's not the truth, you see. The truth is he has a great crowd following him and he, he talks in a parable and you've got many people from many different towns coming to hear him from around the lake, from the region of Galilee. Some may have walked days, some may have walked just a few hours. And just imagine that uh, you're Levi, you're part of the crowd and you hear this teaching. It's a very short parable. You hear it and you're wandering home after you've heard this teaching and you get home amongst your family and your family says to her, oh, how good is the teacher? What did you learn from the rabbi? And he scratches his head and he he says, oh. I think Jesus was talking about our neighbor, you know, our farmer neighbor. I think he really was talking about him because this teacher was just giving us a picture of someone sowing seed. And you know, the seed um, that our neighbor sows, he, you know, he's out there, we see him farming, it's a common view. And, and this teacher, this rabbi just talked about that, he, he told us nothing new really, he he said, look, the farmer was out there and he was sowing, yeah, and he sort of made the, the point that he was sowing bountifully. He was throwing seed everywhere because this seed fell in all sorts of places. He, he observed, and obviously Jesus, the teacher, had observed this in the hillside where a sower was just sowing seed and some of it fell on a path, some of it was trodden on, some of the seed the birds took away. Some of the other seeds sort of fell on soil that looked like soil, but beneath the soil was limestone. You know, you know, darling, as we, we, we go and try and dig our plants in the garden, we dig down, but beneath that first inch of soil is a there's a rock crust. So he talked about that. He talked about the seed sitting on the top but not being able to penetrate beneath the limestone or actually not penetrate, actually not be able to absorb moisture because the limestone rock there is, is sucking all the moisture from the seed. You see, the teacher talked about that. He also talked about the fact that some of the seed fell amongst thorns. And instead of the seed growing, the thorns grew. There seemed to be a competing set of plants sort of uh, wanting to grow in the seed and the, the thorns overtook the potential germination of the seed. And then he talked about the fact there was some seed that actually ended up in good soil. But you know, he said something really interesting. He said that seed that was ending up in good soil actually grew a hundredfold. 
They said, you know, Joe, our farmer over here, I've never seen his seed produce a hundredfold. But this is what this teacher said. And he said to his family, he said, and then he said something really, really strange. He said, uh, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I've come home, I, I don't understand. Is he a great teacher, you ask me? I don't understand. He's just told me a, a story about an everyday farming occurrence. I don't understand. Not only the crowd was with Jesus at this point in time, but also disciples and followers of him were there. They had the same question because they, they came to Jesus and says, you've told this story, but we don't understand them. What does it mean? What does it mean? And Jesus starts to explain. He starts to explain the purpose of parables. If you look at verse 10, he, he starts this explanation. Stan says this, he said to them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So, or that could be translated in order that, that seeing they may not know, not see, and hearing they may not understand. So he throws it out there and and he says to the disciples, there, there's something at the heart here, but what, what you must understand that, that God has given to you an understanding. To you it has been given. Those words are incredibly wonderful because it's talking about God and God alone is the only one that can actually reveal this to you. It's what we call in grammar, it's a divine passive. God is the one acting upon behalf of the situation. God is the only one that can give and reveal. And he starts with his disciples. He says, you, you, you men who and women who are following me, the secrets of the kingdom will be revealed. And then he says to them, he says, however, to those others, this parable will just sound like a farming story. This parable will just sound like the teacher is just oh, talking about Joe, my local farmer, and sowing seed. There will be no spiritual insight into it. They will not see. They will not hear. They will not understand. Now, Jesus quotes directly from Isaiah chapter 6. 
with these words. So just turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. I know if you've got an uncovered book, that's going to be difficult. But grab your other Bible and go back into the Old Testament and we'll look at Isaiah 6 and we'll just understand a little bit the context of what Jesus is saying here. Because it's important. Because we have a contrast statement. To you, my disciples, it will be revealed. To those who don't follow me and aren't my disciples, it's not going to be revealed. And he uses a quote out of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And the context of Isaiah 6 is it's a magnificent context of Isaiah, the prophet of old, being called to serve God. Verse 1, the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, of the, King the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the throngs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins atoned for. And then Jesus quotes the next little bit. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then he said, Then I said, Here am I, send me. So Isaiah has this wonderful image and, and God calls, Can I send you to serve? And he says, Yes, send me. And God says, This is going to be a little bit difficult. He said to him, go and say to his people, Isaiah, go and say to my people, the people of Israel, keep on hearing but do not understand, keep on seeing but do not perceive, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord, he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants? and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terabith of an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. So Jesus quotes this quote, just a portion of the quote, but whenever we have a portion of the quote in the New Testament, you must understand the context of the quote. That's why I read that for you. Because the context of the quote in Isaiah alludes to judgment of the nation. Jesus is saying here that sometimes uh, the purpose of the parable is to conceal and he's got that here. He's concealing. He said, this parable is going to be concealed from some. But to you, to whom it's been given by God, it will be revealed. But in the context of Isaiah, we see God judges. And he removes the benefit of revelation in this context. 
Isaiah takes up this message and he, he takes it to a nation that is struggling, a nation who is facing judgment, a nation who is about to be exiled. Why? Because they refuse to respond properly to God. You know what? God tells Isaiah that the people won't respond. In fact, if you read the context of this, Isaiah hardens their heart, much like he hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So response is not even possible. But however, in the broader, gracious will of God in Isaiah, you will get the context that repentance is still offered and a promised remnant will be there. Jesus quotes this to explain a similar principle. He says, my word will go out, not all will receive. Some, their hearts will be hardened. Some will lack repentance. But to some, they will understand and receive those who are my disciples. So then Jesus explains what this parable means. He starts with this wonderful statement, He who has ears, let him hear. It's an important part of these verses. and He simply explains, firstly, that the seed is the word of God. This is what this image is about. It's the throwing of the seed abundantly and everywhere is God's word going out. That's what it represents. And then what we see, the, the different places where that seed lands represents responses. We have the first response, the, the seed that goes up on the path or the road. The word is heard. The message is heard. Do you know what? This tells me that the devil wins the battle for the soul. We can all probably know of situations where we've had friends where we've consistently spoken God's truth to, right? Consistently presented the gospel. Their hearts are hardened. These verses tell me that the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. Unbelief is the result. Luke also is saying that failure to respond to the word is the devil's work. He mirrors and mirrors this deceit, which results in the fact that faith and salvation is lost. It's kind of interesting when you, when you read some other Jewish writings about the bird even, because we read earlier that the bird takes the seed away as well. Birds in Jewish writing is always a figure for evil. And this impacts the word when it's on the road or the path. 
It's heard, but it's put aside. There's no belief, no repentance, there's no salvation. I hope that today you're not sitting here hearing the word and not believing. I hope this doesn't show to your own life where your heart is because it is destructive. The next soil is the rock. We talked about that, remember? It was the limestone just under the surface of the topsoil. And we have a response here. The seed, the word of God, is in this place upon... Come down the the soil so the word is heard. That's what the text tells me. You hear the word and you receive it with joy. I would liken that to an emotional response, perhaps. You've heard the word, you've said, I have a need for a saviour, and you respond with joy. But the counter to it here is, but you have no root. The counter is, you believe for a while, but when a testing comes, you fall away. Yes, you have salvation, you have faith, but the fruitfulness of the word in your life is non-existent because the fruitfulness of the word hasn't gripped your soul and hasn't developed and germinated in your heart to change you. I too have first-hand experience of this. I have a dear friend who I grew up with. This young man, if, if you asked him to quote scripture, he could do it a drop of a hat. Involved in mission trip, involved in youth leadership, involved in all forms of ministry. First point of a trial and a major testing in his life destroyed him. 30 plus years later, stills destroys him. Because the word hadn't moved from the head of academic knowledge to the heart of application. We hear the word, but folks, Jesus' words are to be obeyed. When you hear the word, this is an application for you. When you hear the word, what do you do with that? You say, oh, that's just a nice story. I'll just tuck that in my pocket for some other later time. Well, this parable will tell us, no, you will do it. You'll put steps in your life to obey. And that may be difficult, but the Spirit of God can help you with that. It's not a self-serving thing. It's God's Spirit that convicts us and changes us. But that can't happen if you put the word away. Can't happen if you don't refer to it. Can't happen if you don't spend time in it. So that was the second response. Then the third response, we see that uh, 
The seed fell amongst the thorns, verse 14. And this is likened to those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. When I look at our culture, when I look at the Western culture and and the church in the West, this is a condemning verse. Because I think this summarizes many of our endeavors. We hear the word of God, yes. We believe, yes. We are saved, yes. But other things grow up and choke us. Other things grow and strangle us. It's interesting because you know these thorns in Israel are kind of amazing. They stand at two meters tall. They have beautiful white and pink flowers. They look incredibly attractive. And this is the point that Jesus makes. That these thorns are competing for the nurturing of your soul. It's where the seed is and the thorn is, only one will win. There's only so much nutrient in the soil. There's only so much moisture. I think earlier on he talks about uh, the thorns grew up and choked it. And it's a moisture issue. It's about getting feeding. And they can't feed both. And this is an incredibly powerful picture of what happens in life, is it not? We get consumed with the worries of the world. We get consumed with pursuing the next piece of materialism at the expense of God's word. Do you know what happens? We get consumed with this and it results in things like anxiety. It results in things of untrust. It results in legalism because what you do is you start actually placing God's word into a box which suits your view as opposed to understanding that God is beyond that. When I viewed my life I see the damaging impact that this can have. We're pursued of career, pursuit of wealth, pursuit of prestige. Power can be all-consuming. That's the imagery here. The thorn is all-consuming. It takes every bit of your energy to maintain its thornness. <laughs> There's a new English word for you. Thornness. chokes your faith. You can't serve two masters. Jesus says that regularly through the Gospels. You can't serve money and God. You cannot do that. I'd ask you, as you think through this particular verse, I'd ask you this week to write down what's choking my life? Am I being choked by the cares and worries of this world? 
Am I being choked by pursuing riches and lifestyle? Am I being choked by the pleasures of life? Because if you are, God's word is not able to mature in your heart. Make a list. Best place to start, look at your bank statement. (laughs) That will highlight where your priorities are. Best place to start, look at what you worry about. Because if you understand God's word, you understand that he cares for you deeply. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow has enough worries of itself. Rest in him. And then finally we have the good soil. And look at the three unique responses to good soil. The word of God goes into good soil. You hear it. You have an honest and right heart. When you respond to God's word, it shapes your heart because from your heart your actions flow. God's word is about inward transformation, folks. It's about taking this rotten old heart and transforming it into something that is like Christ. When the word of God is in good soil, it creates the ability to hold fast. Now, I love this word. It's like, have this picture of a rock climber. You know, you've seen these pictures on tele where you've got these sheer rocks, sheer faces of rock, and you've got men and women climbing up rocks, and they're hanging on by their fingernails. Some of these rocks go beyond the vertical. They start inverting. They're still hanging on. That's the, that's the picture here. Hold fast. Cling to it. Like a climber clinging to a cliff, that's what we should do with God's word. Not put it aside when trouble comes. But understand it. Meditate upon it. See where the truth in it is. That's holding fast to the word. That's the sign of the word in good soil. So when trials come, what happens? You have a rock to lean on. You have an anchor for the soul that continually highlights Jesus and his words against what you're hearing from elsewhere. It makes you immovable. We read earlier, a couple of weeks ago, don't build your house on the rock. Same thing here. Jesus is the rock. Not literally. His word is the rock. His sayings. That's what he's talking through here. And finally, what happens is you'll bear fruit. See, the parable of the soils is more about fruit bearing than anything else. The big idea is that fruit is plentiful. Fruit is developed. Fruit is developed with patience. This is the final term here. The good and right hard, you're holding fast, but there's patience. 
It's a process. Patience, this is a unique term in Luke. It's the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. It's endurance, fortitude, steadfastness, perseverance would be all good English words to describe the impact of the word on the heart. That's what Jesus instructs. This is what it means to be my disciple. It's to me, it means to actually grab hold of my words and realize that he ought to be fruitful. He then goes two little parables. We won't get to chapter 9 today, but that's okay. He gives two little parables. He says, you know, after no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care how you hear. Circle that in your, in your uncovers books, because this is a theme that's running through this chapter. The, verse 8, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right through the understanding of the parable, it says, those who have heard, they hear the word. Those who hear and those who are hearing the word. And now he says, take care how you hear, how you receive, how you understand the word. For to one who has more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And this is the principle that we started the day with. It's the principle of the fact that you've got the word, you've got to use it, otherwise you'll lose it. I think that's what Jesus is saying. You have entrusted to you the word of God, now use it. Not like the trigonometry books that you threw away after the exam and never approached that subject again. Jesus is saying, grab the word of God. Use it consistently, daily, use it. Because as you use it, there will be a plentiful harvest in your own life and the lives of others. Because there's a warning there as well. The one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, will be taken away. He's explaining the parable even further. Put the word of God in your life and let that be like a lamp. A lamp that illuminates. And then finally, in verse 19 to 21, then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered, my mother and my brothers are those who what? Read it. Hear the word and what? Do it. I would like you to think of the Nike brand symbol, just do it. And apply it to Luke chapter 8. God's word is revealed to us by God. He calls us into relationship with him. 
And then he asks us to follow Jesus' words and do it. We've got to chapter 9. You see the same theme just running through it. And I'll quickly give you a couple of lines. Chapter 9, you have Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, yes, you are right, but your picture of Messiah is wrong. What will happen is I need to go to the cross. He foretells his death. And then he charges the disciples, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you need to desire yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Read down to verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, hear my words and do them. It's the call of discipleship. Hear my words and do them. And then the transfiguration. We have Peter, James, John, going with Jesus up top of Mount Hermon. And they see Elijah and they see Moses. And they see the glory of the Lord. And Peter is dumbfounded, doesn't know what to say. And he says, oh, Master, let's build some tabernacles. Let's go back to the Old Testament and have the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's remember your presence with us by building these tabernacles. And and, uh, then we have God descend in a cloud. And what does he say? Verse 35, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my Son, my chosen one, what's the next verse? Listen to him. Listen to his words and do it. That's what discipleship is about. And then the cloud disappeared and they saw no one but Jesus alone. That's the call of discipleship for us, folks. Grabbing God's eternal word as displayed through Jesus, his son, and applying it, becoming fruitful fruitful in the power of the Spirit. We can't do it academically. We can't go out and say, I understand a lot about the Word. That's ridiculous. Jesus calls us not to understand a lot about the Word. He understands us to do it. Follow me. Love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Do not judge. Do not be anxious. But love as Christ has loved you. That's a challenge for all of us. Today, tomorrow, the weeks to come. Measure your own heart and how much of God's word you're taking in. Take account of it. Is it a daily exercise that you're wrestling with the truths of Scripture? Is it a weekly exercise here on a Sunday morning? My appeal to you is get before the Lord. Understand the seed that is in your heart because it is God's word. Through the power of his spirit, develop it and trust his commands. Thanks, music team. We'll uh, sing our last song.